Welcome to Van Ferndelfi Legal News here on Waterberg Stereo. This program is sponsored by the Wit & Villiers Brokers from uh, Rustenburg, which we certainly do appreciate. Today, I will first discuss a recent constitutional court decision with Esmeri from our litigation department. And um, yeah, please stay tuned for that one. Uh, you uh, previously might have heard when we discussed the uh, court of close decision regarding the police's failure to take reasonable steps to prevent harm to someone who was raped on a beach. And that person, that lady then instituted a claim against the police. And we will hear from Esmeri what the outcome of the constitutional court decision was. The previous court had found in favor of the police, in favor of the state, and rejected the claim. But we will hear from Esmeri whether the Constitutional Court agrees with that approach. And then secondly, I will be discussing a question that we received regarding the smooth transition of a business after you have passed away. What can you do to ensure that there are no headaches in this regard for your executor and your family? Please send us your questions and your comments uh, at uh, info at vvd.co.za. My name is Volker Kruger from Van Felden Duffy Attorneys. I'm joined by Esmeri McCallaghan. Um, our regular listeners will recall that we previously actually discussed this uh, decision that we're going to deal with today as well. Uh, that was the decision of the Supreme Court of Appeal, if I'm not mistaken. And today we're going to talk about the decision of the Constitutional Court. So uh, the matter was taken on appeal to the Constitutional Court, and then uh, we'll uh, hear what the outcome of that decision was. Maybe you can just refresh our memory. Uh, Esmeri, obviously the listeners can listen to that podcast. It's still available uh, uh, on our uh, website. Uh, but what, what happened? Good morning, Volker. Um, I'm very excited to discuss this judgment today because it's a massive victory for all victims of crime. Um, I was very disappointed back then with the judgment from the Supreme Court of Appeal. What happened is that Ms. Kay, as she was referred to in this case, uh, was ab abducted um, on a beach and she was held for hours on, on a beach. Um, in the dunes behind the beach, where she was assaulted and raped for, I can't recall the hours, but it was from early in the afternoon till early the next morning. And she issued summons against the police to hold them liable for her damages, specifically uh, psychological damages that she suffered as a result of that. And her case was based there on that the police failed to properly search for her in the hours that um, after she was abducted, and secondly, failed to properly investigate the crime thereafter, because to this day, nobody has been arrested and barely any progress has been made in regards to this case. And like you mentioned, we've done the judgment from the Supreme Court of Appeal. But in short, the Supreme Court of Appeal found the police not liable, um, one, on the grounds that they felt that it would open the floodgates uh, for everybody to sue the police if they felt that they didn't do their job properly, um, which is perhaps <laughs> necessary to be able to do. And secondly, the Supreme Court of Appeal also felt that the police did everything within their power and resources on the evening to look for her, and therefore the police acted reasonably in the circumstances and did not act 
negligently. And ultimately, she lost the case in the Supreme Court of Appeal with a cast order against her. And luckily, she appealed to the Constitutional Court. So it's a delictual claim, no? the argument being that there's a legal obligation on the police to do their job properly if something like this happened. And uh, her argument is that they failed to do the job properly. And consequently, she argued that the police and the state uh, therefore should be held liable for uh, damages. Yes, there's a legal duty on them, but also, more importantly, there's a constitutional duty on the police to keep us safe, to prevent crime, and to ultimately do their job properly when there is crime. And that was why the case ended up in the constitutional court, because of that constitutional obligation and because that's the highest court in the country that has the final say. So, so this outcome now is obviously a precedent that will govern all future uh, decisions by courts in the country dealing with similar facts. Yes, yes. Um, the, as you mentioned, this is the highest court. So this is the final say in the matter. And going forward, this case can be used as precedent for all other cases to follow. Okay. And what did the Constitutional Court find? You, you already mentioned that she was successful with an appeal. Yes. So the Constitutional Court find, found that the police did fail to conduct a proper search for her in the hours that she was being held captive in the bushes behind the beach, and that um, they did not act reasonably, as could be expected of them in those circumstances. And secondly, they also failed to properly conduct an investigation thereafter to try and hold her perpetrator accountable. So as I've mentioned, the, the, the facts of the matter was very detailed and, and the Supreme Court of Appeal as well as the Constitutional Court looked into detail in everything that the police did, every um, type of search they did, every type of investigation they did. I'm not going to go into that much detail. But in short, uh, you will, you might recall when we did the Supreme Court of Appeal judgment, I mentioned that there was a helicopter search for her. Um, there was a car that drove along the shoreline to search for her because I thought she might have drowned. And then there was also um, one police officer with a dog that walked um, on the beach and searched for her. The, the, the negligent component in regards to this search came in with the following. The Constitutional Court that the very basic thing that the police could have done and should have done in these circumstances was also to conduct a foot search of her on the beach and in the dunes, call out her name, because the evidence before the court was that the police officers were just sort of standing around in the parking lot while the one guy was, was walking on the beach with the dog. So the very basic thing they should have done is to do a foot search for her and call out her name. And the second thing is, the uh, you might recall that the dog and the officer that walked with the dog turned around a short distance before uh, the fence on the beach. And they didn't search that last portion. And that is where she was held captive. So the Constitutional Court found is if they just walked that little distance further up until the fence, they might have found her. So in regards to that, they were found to be negligent. They didn't act reasonably in searching for her. In regards to the investigation afterwards, where they were also found negligent, the court said they didn't timelessly look at the CCTV footage. Um, the Supreme Court of Appeal said, well, it was the obligation of, of the victim to look at the footage and identify her perpetrator. And the Constitutional Court said, no, you cannot place that duty of the police 
on a victim, even though she might be able to identify him. But the police never timelessly looked at that CCTV footage um, to identify a few people that were on the beach and look for those people. And then the second thing that the police lacked in the investigation afterwards, um, there were a lot of bush dwellers that lived in the dunes on that beach. And the police didn't interview a single one of them. And the court found that the starting point for the police in looking for the a perpetrator would have been to interview these people that live on the beach to find out that they see anything, that they hear anything. Um, it might actually have been one of them um, that was the perpetrator. The police didn't interview a single one of them. So because of this, in short, is when the Constitutional Court found that the police should be held liable because they didn't act reasonably and they failed in their constitutional duty towards the plaintiff. I guess... Um one can say that the police doesn't have to be perfect. No? The, what the police needs to do is to act reasonably in the circumstances yes. and do what the reasonable policeman with the training and experience that the reasonable policeman should have would have done in the circumstances. And what you just explained, I guess, um, are basic things that they should have done and that could have prevented the harm. Yes, exactly. Uh, you summed it up quite correctly. The police doesn't have to be perfect. Nobody is perfect. The test is not whether they are perfect. The test is whether they acted reasonably within the resources available to them at the time. And um, just walking around, for example, and doing a foot search cost absolutely no resources. Um, the officers were there. They just didn't walk around and, and search for her. So the test is always did the police act reasonably. Um, I want to mention the Supreme Court of Appeal said that they can't allow this type of case because it would absolutely open the floodgates for everybody to sue the police. Um, but the Constitutional Court said no, it wouldn't because you have to ev evaluate the facts of each case separately. The police would not necessarily be negligent in every type of case where a perpetrator is not found or where a victim is not found. You have to evaluate the evidence of that circumstance. And ultimately, if the police know that they can be held accountable like this, um, they might um, take that into account when they are doing their investigations. So with there obviously being a lot of victims of crime in the country, one, one needs to point that out, that the liability of the police is not limitless, not faultless. You have to look at the facts of each case to determine whether there was indeed negligence on the case of the police, whether they failed to uh, do what the reasonable policeman would have done in the circumstances. So if there are any listeners that might now contemplate uh, a claim against the police, then then I, I, I think one would should, should advise them to go and see your attorney and uh, explain the facts. And then based on that, your attorney should be able to advise you as to whether you have a chance of succeeding with the case uh, or not. Yes, I always mention this when we do any matter, um, any delictual matter, is do your, in your homework um, properly at the beginning of the matter. Before you institute um, summons and, and you might be left with a hefty legal bill, you and your attorney should investigate and evaluate and analyse the facts properly and make sure you have a good case because you don't necessarily have a case by default against the police, like I mentioned, if, if a perpetrator is not found for the crime committed against you. And keep in mind that there are certain prescription periods that apply to claims of this uh, nature. So make sure that if you are a victim of a crime, that you go and see your attorney as soon as possible. 
because yeah. uh, otherwise that climb might prescribe. In other words, it might might lapse if you wait too long. So yeah. I think uh, that's also important to point out. Yes. All right. As you said, I guess that's uh, good news uh, for victims of uh, crime. Certainly a sad uh, set of facts uh, for this uh, lady that instituted the claim, but uh, at least there's some good news now from the Constitutional Court. Yes, for sure. All right. Thank you. Thank you. I received a question from a listener. How do I ensure that my business can continue uh, running smoothly after I have passed away? A couple of uh, points that I could make in this regard, which might be of assistance to the listener and also to anyone else who maybe has a business and who maybe in uh, his will and with his estate planning wants to make sure that the business can carry on properly after he has passed away. First point maybe is to make sure that you get expert assistance for drafting of the will. There are a lot of uh, people and institutions out there that, that offer the services of drafting a will, but not all of them are experts. Not all of them have the necessary expertise and the necessary experience to ensure that the document is a valid will, that uh, the document, without any contradictions, clearly stipulates what the wishes of the deceased are so that they can give an effect to, be given effect to. So make sure that you do get the right person to assist you with that, and most certainly don't try to do it yourself. That is a recipe for disaster. Second point, uh, let us say that you have a son who is in the business together with you, maybe works for you, or is even your partner in the business, and you have two daughters, and you want to make sure that those daughters also benefit fairly from your estate. Then there are a couple of options that you can consider. One is, uh, for example, to leave that business to your son, However, to stipulate that he must pay a certain amount or amount that can be determined in terms of the formula provided in the will to his daughters, uh, to, sorry, to your daughters, uh, to his um, siblings, to make sure that they do also get their fair share. For example, you could stipulate that the executor must determine the value of the business on date of death, and then based on that value, quantify an amount that he must then pay, your son in other words. However, let's say from a cash flow point of view, depending on the value of the business, it might be an issue for him to have those funds available after you've passed away to pay his siblings. So one option would be to stipulate that he can pay off that amount in installments or within a certain period of time after your date of death, let's say within three years. Another option would be for your son to take out life insurance on your life to enable him to use those funds after you've passed away to indeed pay his uh, siblings. That would then obviously entail premium costs that he would have to incur, but at the end of the day, at least he would then, upon your death, have the necessary cash flow, have the necessary funds to pay um, his siblings their fair share. So make sure that you get proper advice in that regard as well and consider the various options that could be uh, put on the table. If you are the only director of the company that owns the business, then you should perhaps consider appointing someone else that you trust, family member or uh, an employee of the company as a co-director. The problem is that if you pass away, there would be no director alive who could take 
care of the day-to-day running of the affairs of the company. After the executor has been appointed by the master, the executor can then, in the place of you as shareholder, appoint someone as a director. However, unfortunately, especially these days, it sometimes takes quite a while. It can take months for the letters of executorship to be issued by the master, which would mean that for that period of time, until the letters of executorship is issued, there would be nobody in charge as a director to run the company. So that second director could then indeed solve that problem and carry on after you have passed away. Then um, to make sure that your executor and your family and your beneficiaries of the estate know what to do after you've passed away, you should, in my opinion, also draft some guidelines for them of what should be done after you've passed away. Those uh, guidelines can, for example, indicate who employees of the business are that uh, can be trusted to carry on with the affairs of the business after you've passed away, uh, etc. So that's not a legal document that has to be drafted by your attorney. You can do that yourself and then arrange for your attorney to put that in safe custody together with your original will so that your executor will know what to do after you have uh, passed away. If uh, there is no heir who wants to take over the business, then in most cases it would make sense to sell it, which would, uh, of course, be an option that your executor can then also consider. And remember that he doesn't have to wait until the estate is wound up or until the liquidation distribution account has been approved by the master. The executor can, in the meantime, sell the business from the estate. And in that regard, some guidelines uh, would also be of assistance in which you could indicate to the executor, for example, who potential purchases of the business would be, or, for example, how they should quantify the value of the business, etc. And those guidelines could then also, in respect of the sale of the business, assist the executor. Cash flow of the business, you would, uh, in many cases, find that if the business, for example, has an overdraft, let's say even if it's a company, that the bank will uh, call up that over account and will revoke that uh, overdraft facility um, if um, you have passed away. To uh, ensure that the necessary funds are available to cover that overdraft and to ensure that the business can carry on, you should uh, perhaps consider in such a case to also take up further life insurance to uh, ensure that there's the necessary cash flow. Obviously, once again, there would be premium costs involved, but that at least will make sure that your executor and your Beneficiaries don't sit with that headache. Then number six, if you have a partner, for example, in the business, even if it's a company, then uh, I think you should consider entering into a so-called buy and sell agreement in terms of, in terms of which the surviving shareholders, the shareholder has the right to purchase the shares of the deceased shareholder. And then in most cases, you would also ensure that there is the necessary life insurance cover available for the surviving shareholder to use those funds then to buy the shares. And in most cases, that I think would be a win-win situation in the sense that the family, the beneficiaries of the estate, would receive the proceeds of that life insurance policy or the purchase price if it's quantified based on the value of the business or the shares of the deceased in the business. And the surviving uh, 
shareholder would also be happy, or the surviving partner would also be happy, because he doesn't have to partner with the deceased family, who he normally wouldn't know, or uh, wouldn't uh, be used to running a business together with them. And the same obviously applies for the family of the deceased. They wouldn't have to get involved with a business that they probably don't know, or with a partner that they probably don't know. So that is also uh, an option that should be considered in the case where you have a partner in your business, uh, or if you have a joint shareholder in the case of a company, if it's a company, apart from a buy and sell agreement, there should, in my opinion, also be a properly drafted shareholders agreement, which um, would cater for a couple of other things as well, apart from the buy and sell uh, terms thereof. Then my final point number seven is to appoint an expert as executor and preferably an independent party, especially if there's a business involved, to ensure that that person has the necessary expertise, necessary skills to, with the assistance of your auditor, with the assistance of your employees of your business, to ensure that the damages are limited after you've passed away, especially if you are the key person in that business and so that the business can thereafter be sold for a maximum proceeds or taken over by the relevant beneficiary or beneficiaries. I hope that those seven points are of assistance to the specific listener and also in general to our listeners regarding what you could do to ensure a smooth transition of the running of the affairs of your business after you have passed away. That's all we have uh, time for today. Remember, our email address is info at vvd.co.za. Thanks for uh, listening. Uh, make sure that you tune in again next week, Wednesday, between 3 o'clock and 4 o'clock, and then also on Friday evenings.